I'd like to read a few verses um, from the book of James. You might like to turn to it. I'm going to make reference to different passages of scripture as uh, the morning goes on. But um, we will end up uh, at this particular passage. And it's James chapter 1. James is a very practical uh, letter with a lot of very practical material in it. And I'd like to read from verse 19 to verse 27. You'll find it on page 1213 of the copies of the Bibles that are in the pew. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And we'll end the reading <clears throat> that verse in James chapter 1. Let me just, by way of explanation for anyone who's visiting with us, um, say that we're working our way through a series called Being Human, looking at some of the joys and trials of what it means to be human, and particularly from a Christian point of view. And this morning uh, our title is Being Human, Being Angry. It's just something with which I've had to live It's in my genes, apparently. The cruelest form of expression of it has been concord. God gave me this nose. There's nothing much I can do about it. And I'm certainly not going to spend a few thousand pounds to allow somebody to hack a lump off. I recognize that I am long of the nose. I accept that as my burden in life. It may surprise you to know that being long of the nose is translated in our Bibles as slow to anger. Proverbs 14 verse 29 says this, A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. And apparently the kind of language that lies behind this has given that the Hebrew language is very practical and very literal. This idea that it is those who are long of the nose who have great understanding could be a rather interesting reading of Proverbs 15 verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a man of long nose calms a quarrel. I often think it would be much more fun if our Old Testament uh, was translated a bit more literally in English. And while I'm tempted to separate the congregation into the long noses and the short noses, using mine as a standard measurement, um, I'll resist and instead just deal with the subject for today, which is being human, being angry. I wonder what kind of things make you mad in a not-too-serious kind of way. What makes you angry in a deadly serious kind of way? We live in a very angry society, from road rage to queue rage. But the rage isn't anger, it's selfishness and arrogance given full voice usually. 
One of the things that actually makes me angry is watching, listening or being on the receiving end of such bad behaviour. Truthfully, I find within me there is actually a rather deep well of anger. And truthfully, rude people or things that annoy me just lift the cover off the well. And it bothers me sometimes and I don't know whether it bothers you or whether you're now just getting worried about me. Where does this stuff come from? I know that the capacity to to be angry and the level of anger doesn't equate to the actions of others necessarily. There's something more going on in there. If you can't relate to this, then my apology. You're not deficient. You're just greatly blessed. But if you can, then you know what I'm talking about. Anger is a strange, deep, powerful emotion. Well, one of the first things I want to say this morning is this, that essentially it's all God's fault in a manner of speaking. The capacity for anger rises from being made in the image of God. You can't lump anger in with brambles, weeds, wasps and mosquitoes as elements of the fall over which we have no control. Because being made in the image of God includes being moral and relational beings. And anger usually has something to do with those two issues. An expression of indignation or injustice or outrage, whether rightly or wrongly perceived. I can make a statement like this, not simply because we are made in the image of God, but because the Bible is unashamed in portraying God as capable of anger. I think of what it says in Exodus chapter 34 verse 6. The Lord passes in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. God is capable of anger, even though he is slow to anger. It's sometimes seen as an expression of God's holiness. Think of what it says in Psalm 90, verses 7 to 12. It says, We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. And Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 3, picking up the theme of the nature of God's anger and the fact that it exists even if it is slow to rise and just in its, its reading of a situation, says this, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for forty years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. I declared on oath in my anger, says God, They shall never enter my rest. One of the features of anger with God is that there seems to be no loss of control. There is rather an expression of judgment. Uh, You see this even in the life of Moses, for example, when Moses says, Lord, please send someone else to do it. You remember the time when Moses was being called and he really didn't want to play ball. And the scripture tells us the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron? He didn't treat Moses like the burning bush and burn him up. He actually made an alternative arrangement, even though he was very angry. Jesus is seen to be angry. I think in Mark chapter 10 and verse 
14 says the people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And the concept there is that he was rightly angry. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Tells us later on in Mark chapter 12 that on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, it is, not, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And yet, as the book of Hebrews tells us, in Hebrews chapter 4, we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. So let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. The second thing I'd say about this is not just that it arises partly out of being made in the image of God, but there are many illustrations of this anger in the Bible. I think of Cain right at the very beginning of the Bible. Abel kept flocks, it tells us in Genesis 4. And Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked on favor with the, looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. We know he didn't. He killed his brother in his anger against God. We think of Lamech, someone you read about in the same chapter in Genesis chapter 4, who boasts to his wives about the fact that he killed a younger man who insulted him. We think about Joseph's brothers and their kinds of attitudes. We think of the blessings that Jacob, the great patriarch, gives on those sons of his, particularly Simeon and Levi. He says in Genesis 49, Simeon and Levi are brothers, their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council, let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Moses himself, the one who angered God, was perfectly capable of anger. And you can read about that in Numbers chapter 20 and suffered the consequences. Anger is essentially an expression of indignation or injustice or outrage, whether rightly or wrongly perceived to be the case. Anger is generally associated with a violation of our expectations. We expect to be cared for. We expect to be protected. We expect it to be treated fairly, whether by individuals or organizations. And when it doesn't happen, we get angry. One of my irrational moments recently was receipt of my third letter from the TV licensing people telling me that I haven't bought a TV license, even though I have never not had a TV license. Wouldn't you think they have something better to do with their time 
and government postage than sending me letter after letter accusing me of breaking the law. Let them take me to court. Oh, it makes me mad. Anyway, <laughs> we expect better. And it's usually issues that are much more serious than the TV licensing authorities and competence. Do you know how incompetent they are? Their website just doesn't function when it's supposed to function. You phone up to change your address and their mechanized system doesn't work. They send somebody out to talk to you, which they did, and he changes it. And they still sent me letters telling me I don't have a TV license. Anyway, it tends to be, it tends to be seriously much more of an issue when it's family and friends or employer who don't come up with reasonable expectations. Of course, our anger may arise from us having completely unreasonable expectations. That's part of the complicated way we work as people. Other things that awaken the anger monster in us are exploitation, violation of trust, injustice, even our own feelings awaken the anger monster. And the consequence is that we tend to feel a confused sense of sadness, injustice, mistrust, which can manifest itself in a whole host of things. Sometimes it manifests itself in aggression, or in doing harm to ourselves, or in ruminations, I believe the phrase is. That's, the phrase, that's describing the kind of thing where you just replay in your head time after time after time scenarios which just get more and more angry and more and more black. Or sometimes we turn into the people who are going to right the world of all its wrongs or just become withdrawn, depressed, struggling with relationships. Sometimes anger can get good things done. Sometimes it's anger that moves us to address issues that we have not been willing to address and to make changes that need to be changed. Sometimes it is the spur to do good. As the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul had written a letter to the Corinthians which made them mad. He says in verse 8, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter... I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to your repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow produced in you. <clears throat> what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. The letter made them angry. It made them address some issues. It made them very sorrowful. But Paul sees great good that has come out of it. And that's the case with anger. But anger can become a threat to self-control. It can become a threat to good judgment. Hence the phrase, losing your head. Anger may be righteous or it may be unrighteous. It may be justified or it may be unwarranted. It may be virtuous or it may be vicious. It may be constructive or it may be destructive. But the one thing we all learn is that your temper is the one thing you can't get rid of by losing. 
There is a big challenge in dealing with anger and addressing it honestly. So let me leave you with a few things that the Bible has to say about anger as it deals with this very human emotion. While the Bible doesn't provide an in-depth analysis of anger, it is peppered with helpful insights and advice. I go back to that passage in Genesis chapter 4, back to the passage regarding Cain. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. First of all, God challenges Cain's right to be angry. It's clear that not getting our own way can generate a sense of injustice that leads to anger, which becomes part of a complex web of sinfulness. And one of the things that Scripture does, besides acknowledging that anger can be a good thing, is to challenge us to be honest about the source of our anger. Is it selfishly generated? Or is it a response to an objectively unjust situation or experience? Truth is, we're often not the best placed people to make those judgments. And that's where good friendships can come into their own and be a great help. Where people will help us see the truth about ourselves. There's all the difference in the world between Cain's anger and Jonathan's anger at the way in which Jonathan's father Saul was going to try and kill David. 1 Samuel 20, 34 tells us Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. On that second day of the month he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. And he then completely undermines his father's authority by enabling David to make good his escape, which further angers his father to the point where his father makes an attempt on his son's life. And while Cain is challenged about the nature of his anger, Jonathan is greatly commended for acting upon the anger, the fierce anger, that he felt when he realized how unjust was his father's attitude and behavior. Psalm 37 verse 8 gives us some advice. It says, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. A short passage, but a passage that understands the relationship between, between rumination and fretting and the build-up of anger. Here is helpful advice. Turn away. It's one of the key aspects of dealing with anger. That if we don't deal with it promptly, it will become destructive. Not might but will. That appears to be just a fact of life. And perhaps one of the most direct and helpful teachings on anger in the Bible comes in James chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, which we read a little earlier. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth, and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. James sets anger over against righteousness. Righteousness should be the standard against which we measure our emotional responses, particularly anger. 
And James, more than any other New Testament writer, has a strong sense of social justice and injustice. He talks about the rich exploiting the Christians. He talks about hypocritical faith, faith that has no works. He talks about slandering and being slandered. He talks about crass materialism. But nevertheless, he warns us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because often we are too quick to make judgments on people, on situations, and even our own failures, which leads us into anger. Let us seek the wisdom that comes from God, as James puts it, who is wise and understanding among you. Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. From where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Even if we need to get angry, which we might, let's try and do it as peacemakers. I had no idea when starting to prepare this sermon that the Amish community of Lancaster, Pennsylvania would be center page of the news. Here are people dealing with grief, loss, shame and anger. And the general consensus would seem to be now that the guy who did the killing of those children was working out feelings of anger rather than feelings of guilt. A report in one of the newspapers on Friday includes the following. In the scenes of quiet dignity, four of the five victims of the schoolroom killing of Amish children were led to rest yesterday in an area of southern Pennsylvania called Paradise. Georgetown was home to Charles Roberts, the killer who barricaded an Amish school on Monday, tied up its girl pupils, then murdered five and seriously injured five more. Later in the day, the scenes of funerals were repeated with the bodies of sisters Mary Liz Miller, 8, Lena Miller, 7. The last funeral of the day was to be that of Marion Fisher, 13. And the fifth victim is to be buried today. As the funerals got underway, fresh doubt was cast on the killer's claims that he was driven by guilt. In suicide notes, Roberts, a 32-year-old milkman, said he had abused two family members 20 years ago after interviewing the women police report that neither could recall any molestation. Psychologists said anger, not guilt, was a more likely explanation. explanation. This is an adult killing helpless, vulnerable children. Clearly this was suicidal. Apparently he wanted to make a statement to show how angry he was, said Professor Robert Sadoff, a forensic psychiatrist at the University of Pennsylvania. Roberts also wrote of his unending anger, not least at God, I understand, at the loss of a prematurely born daughter who would have been nine this year. There's anger in its worst form. And far from responding with anger, there is a community trying to put into practice what they believe and deal with the situation with grace. 
I don't for one minute imagine that there aren't angry people in their community. That would only be natural that there must be. But I admire their determination to try and work out the meaning of their faith in this situation. A report on CNN reads as follows. A grieving grandfather told young relatives not to hate the gunman who killed five girls in an Amish schoolhouse massacre, a pastor said on Wednesday. As we were standing next to the body of this 13-year-old girl, the grandfather was tutoring the young boys. He was making a point, just saying to the family, we must not think evil of this man. It was, said the pastor, one of the most touching things I have seen in 25 years of Christian ministry. Relatives of Roberts had no hint that he would commit such violent acts, the pastor said. Others who knew him described him as troubled. One person who had almost daily encounters with him said that she noticed that he never looked into anyone's eyes. He never looked into anyone's faces and she, she knew that there was something deeply troubling about him. Although she did say, she was very careful to say, that Charles Roberts was not an evil person. That he was a deeply troubled man. That he had, in her words, the sort of modest words of the Amish, that he had problems of the heart. Jack Mayer, a member of the Brethren community living near the Amish in Lancaster County, said local people were trying to follow Jesus' teaching in dealing with the terrible hurt. He said, I don't think there's anybody here that wants to do anything but forgive and not only reach out to those who have suffered a loss in, a way, in that way, but to reach out to the family of the man who committed these acts, he told CNN. These people are dealing with this tragedy and their anger in the context of strong identity of faith. We as Christians profess to live in the context of a strong faith structure. What would happen in our community? Never mind that question. What would I do? If you want to see human anger at its worst, then in the minutes that follow, reflect with us as we contemplate the death of Christ on the cross. If you want to see grace at work, in the next few minutes, reflect with us on the sacrificial nature of his death for us.